Coming to you from Podcast Detroit, it's Heard, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Heard is a collaboration between the Hungry Dudes, Nick Drinks, and the Detroit Optimist Society. Each week, we interview industry professionals about issues related to food, beverage, and hospitality. Please take a moment to subscribe to Heard through the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, or however you subscribe to your podcasts. Write a review and let us know what you think. For additional content, including awesome videos and photos, visit HerdPodcast.com, like Herd Podcast on Facebook, and follow at Herd Podcast on Instagram. We appreciate your support and hope you enjoy this week's episode of Herd. Hello, friends, and welcome to Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. I'm Joe Hakeem, and tonight I'm joined by Vato, Nick, hello, Jason, woo, and our special guest, the owner and brewer at Urban Rest Brewing Company in lovely Ferndale, Michigan, Zach Topinski. Zach, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So before we get into talking about (coughs) Urban Rest, uh, Nick, you presented at the Michigan Restaurant Association. Presented in air quotes, yeah. Well, you stood up on a stage. Yeah, and, and six you, people so happened to be listening words. to me. Yeah. And I made you, cocktails for 30 and six people drank them. What did you do with the other 24? Six people drank them. I'm surprised there wasn't six a live drank feed. 30? <laughs> where was the we were, live we were feed? We were gone. Uh, it, it's one of those things where you get so frazzled that's like trying to coordinate social media. I didn't even take a photo like during the thing. Like uh, one of the guys from uh, – oh, crap. Asian Walk Bistro. I, think, oh, I forgot the name already. He took a photo and he sent it to me. That was nice of him. Yeah, it was very nice of him. So yeah. So anywho, did you get any, anyone ask you any questions? Anything? anything? No, not no. a question. Not, not a, a question. one. I was done in eighteen minutes. And the presentation was about uh, influencers working with influencers. Okay. So it was a uh, basically an eighteen minute long com- uh, commercial for the drinks. <laughs> I did get uh, hungry dudes in there. So were they just waiting to hear the next presenter? Which was at one o'clock. <laughs> so it was like two hours later. They just wanted to get an early seat. <laughs> they wanted to get an early seat, and our friend Michael Schaefer was there. Oh yeah, yeah. And he wh- said hello. He, he was a. Uh, Doing some wine stuff, obviously. He was basically uh, booing me the whole time. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. I mean. But I did give him crap. I said, hey, what's the, what's the website? And he goes, winecounselor.net. And I said, really? <laughs> you couldn't have afforded the dot com? And I, I got a side eye for that. <laughs> I wish I knew. I'd have left work and come and heckled you. I, I would have appreciated it. You would have been one more person. <laughs> Can you condense the 18-minute presentation down into a 15-second synopsis? Ah. What's the takeaway for influencers? You know, basically, it's just engage with people online. You know, there's um, you know, this great community of people. You wanted 15 seconds. <laughs> um, there's this great people, uh, you know, this great community. Um, reach out to them. Comment on their stuff. Like their stuff. Um, ask them before you share things. Uh, reach out to them and, you know, Offer them free dinner, offer them, you know, some some money to come do something fun, give them some gift cards to give away on their network. You know, it's just kind of like giving people ideas for things to do with their restaurant or their industry. Ask me before you share. What about sharing and just uh, tagging? I, I said ask. Just just ask because some people are like, That, that happens no. to us a lot. Do you notice that? What's that? People share our stuff and then they just tag us on it. Oh, it happens all the time to me. Yeah, I don't think we have any control over that. Yeah, I mean, it's no, the, but you can ask. Pri- it's in the yeah. public domain. Right? Yeah, right. Uh, eh. No, uh, I don't. I think you're supposed to tag. I think you could like call them out on it. So, Zach, if you if you see a great photo, someone takes at Urban Rest, you guys share it on your social media. Do you try to? We do. Yeah, yeah. Typically, we do ask the the person though. You know, just it's personal information. Typically, they're putting out there. We feel I know it is public, but yeah, we're always asking them. Their families and things like that, kids and stuff. So I know that's sensitive. Do you, are, are there any uh, beer influencers locally? Do you guys know? That's Courtney and Ian. Courtney I don't know how. I mean, they're they're not huge, huge, but they're pretty big. Oh, what about the Better on Draft guys? I, I don't. Do they have an Instagram account? I, I mean, asking. there's Better on Draft. They, they do that yeah. account. Yeah, they do. Yep. Yeah. No, I did a podcast with those guys a while a while back, um, and I know they have an Instagram. Yep. And you, know, you decent and, social media following too. You and I are on the third. We got to look up that date. Because we're going to talk um, oh, Bourbon County. Bourbon County, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I had today at Honest John's. Ooh. I had the 2015, uh, the, it was supposed to, supposedly infected or some shit like that. The Six, kegs were never infected. Yeah. yeah, that's right. The bottles were. <laughs> they the had figured were. out what the problem was traced to the bottles. So actually, uh, yeah, he's getting some more because the dis- something with the distributor changing hands and they had been aging some at the di- uh, distribution place and then... They want to get rid of them. So after uh, after Thanksgiving, 
when he gets the newest uh, 2017 Bourbon County. He's going to have a 15, 16, 17 on draft with like a flight option. It's so like smaller wow. portions. Taste nice. them. Nice. That's cool. I, that's cool. The vertical is always something kind of yeah. fun with that. I feel like all of us kind of save our bottles, you know, hoping we'll do a vertical in like five years and yeah. then we lose them or forget about them or whatever. Yeah, and I think this is a good segue to to talk about Urban Rest because Urban Rest is – you don't have anything aged yet, right? Like you can hardly keep things on tap, right? Yeah, I mean right now we only have four beers on. The most we've had has been six. Uh, we do have some stuff aging in a couple of um, locally sourced barrels, but uh, just a very small amount. I mean total of maybe 100 gallons and 100% of that will go through the tap room. None of it will be packaged. Uh, we haven't packaged a single thing yet and probably not for another year or two before we do. Um, if we decide to do a bottle release or a can release or something, it will be all all sold through the tap room. And what is it in terms of production, what does it mean for you to like when you produce a beer, how much of it do you produce? So you said 100 gallons. What does that mean? Uh, that's about you know a little less than half of what we normally produce. Okay. Yeah. So we're doing seven barrel batches, is about two hundred and twenty gallons. And how many servings is that roughly? Um, you know, roughly four hundred servings or so. You know, four to five hundred servings, and depending on the uh, the ounce. That, that's your that's a regular batch. That's one batch. That's one yep. batch. Yep. So you're you're rolling through how many batches a week at this point? Um, you know, about one batch a week at this point. Sometimes wow. less, uh, sometimes a little bit more, but yeah, it's been tough to keep up. And the uh, the fewer amounts of beers we have on, the less they're choosing other beers, and the, the quicker those get drained. And so that's a, that's tough, you know. When we do drop, uh, you know, to five and to four beers, there's a lot more pressure on the beers that are on tap because there's more limited choices. So as soon as we can get you know a few on, it sticks a little little longer. But it's been it's been difficult, which is a decent problem. But um, we've expanded capacity uh, double since we opened. We intend to do the same before the end of the year, but still, you know, very, very small. We're going to do, you know, 500 barrels a year, which is, you know, roughly, uh, you know, 15,000 gallons. Uh, it's a very, very small brewery. So you've been open for how long? Uh, three months. And you've doubled capacity already? Yeah, we we had basically bought our equipment to expand the first week we opened. Uh, we knew that we were going to have an issue with um, – you know, uh, production versus demand uh, right away. And, um, you know, it was proven proven right, I guess, with the um, the people that came in to drink it. And uh, we just knew we would have to produce produce more immediately. So we, we went ahead and expanded right away. And so how do you gauge demand on something you haven't even sold yet? Well, uh, I'm a data guy. I mean, I came from the distributor world. Uh, so I looked at a lot of data previous to, you know, um, even designing the business plan and looking at local accounts and the numbers that they were doing, trying to figure out what our potential market share would be and what those numbers actually represented, you know, uh, from a pint, a pint perspective. And so, you know, um, we intend to just uh, take up a very small percentage of the local market share. And, uh, you know, it's, it's largely been um, what's happened, which we've I guess gotten lucky, but you know, uh, kind of knowing your market helps a lot with that. Do you um, locally you compete against Inferno? You have the Wab, right? Yeah. Is there someone else brewing in Ferndale? Livernoy Tap, kind of. Livernoy, yeah. Livernoy Tap, yeah. And then uh, yep. Bee Nectar. Bee Nectar has a brewer's license. I think Shrams has a brewer's license as well, but I don't think they've put out anything. Um, you know, uh, like that beer related, to be honest. But we're a little nothing closer. to brag it about. Uh, no, I know they do have a bracket in the works, you know, or something. So I hear a thought of it. Wow. But. It was good. I was waiting for that one. <laughs> um, so uh, is there comparisons being made? Like, or does it even matter? Like, I mean, it seems like. I really don't think it matters, to be okay. quite honest. It's still very much us against the big boys. Uh, we represent, you know, something like 12 or 13% of the market share right now. Um, and a, a bit more from a dollar perspective, but you're saying craft, uh, craft. Okay. Got yep. It. Yep. Us against uh, the quote unquote big boys, you mm-hmm. know, who are, um, operating under a bit of a guise with some of the packaging and the small breweries that they've, they bought up and kind of put on the shelf against, uh, sure. actual craft, so to speak. But yeah, we, we've banded together. I mean, I saw both the Axel guys and the Sellerman guys this morning and they're probably the two closest breweries and, you know, uh, alcohol producers, uh, you know, within distance of us. And, you know, they're our buddies. They help us out. We help them out. I mean, we just, we're just trying to uh, create more consumers one drink at a time, really. What about um, like Valentine? Are you working with them to get like barrels or anything? Or I'm I have sure not specifically. Um, I, I haven't met the, the Valentine guys, but I've, um, you know, uh, 
eager to, so to speak. I love working with spirits barrels and I love experimenting. Um, our barrel program is very, very small right now, but um, ever growing. And so that's something, especially locally, we want to do. Um, we got our first barrel from the Oakland, uh, you know, Art Novelty Company. Those Fantastic. guys had a freshly dumped Four Roses barrels. Cool. Uh, we got it within seven days of being dumped. So it was really, really nice. Um, we did get a barrel from another local um not to be named mead producer. Uh, and, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. Motor city gas. We've got some talks with those guys to age some of their stuff in barrels. Yeah. So, um, it's exciting, you know, cool. a little local collab. When you have to keep a barrel, do you have to have any special like storage facility, fire suppression, any like crazy stuff like that? Cause I know like motor city gas has to, but there's a higher proof. We have a very um, advanced fire suppression system at our place. Um, the fire marshal was pretty adamant on having some uh, certain uh, control measures in place, but there is a, like a soap manufacturer next to us, so we, we have equally dangerous chemicals that we're working with uh, um, between walls. And so we have a pretty advanced fire suppression system. I'm pretty sure we would get approved for uh, you know distilling if we were to go that route as well. So nothing beyond our can, um, what we what we currently have, but... Um, temperature control, humidity control, those are things that we try and keep in check uh, in order to keep the barrel and the uh, the wood, you know, in the condition we want it for the right conditions of, of aging. I got another good one. He's probably not lying about the soap guys next door. <laughs> it's going to be a long podcast. Oh, fuck, man. Damn. Um, so w- when you make the decision to, uh, on the size of a brewery, so you're, you're saying like uh, 500 barrels a year, um, is, there a, is there a vision to... to double triple quadruple that amount or is are you willing to stay within a certain range absolutely Uh, yeah our goal from the start was just to be um enough to serve the neighborhood demand i mean uh, the amount of demand in the local uh, immediate local demographic uh, for the place that we're you know we've opened up shop we think is as big as a brew we want to be I have no desire to be the next uh, Bells or Founders or to even really put a package on the shelf. I quite enjoy having our beer poured directly through the taps uh, as fresh as it possibly can be and being able to tell our story to the consumer every single time. I mean, if we were to put a package on the shelf right now, no one would know who we are. They might maybe associate us with the city of Ferndale because we'd have Ferndale on the packaging, but um, largely affords us the opportunity not only to to have the better margins that uh, being a, a wholesaler, a manufacturer, and a retailer um, allow, uh, but we get to tell our story, which is really important. I, I would think in a design of a business like this, the uh, the landscape of the city really plays into part of this because you have to have a walkable kind of community uh, versus having some type of destination, right? You yeah. Couldn't, you couldn't just set up shop in Southfield because people aren't really walking the neighborhoods in Southfield and, you know, Ferndale's, uh, Royal Oak, things like that are completely different where all the neighborhoods are walkable neighborhoods. Yeah, it's been a big, big part of us and a lot, gave us a lot more confidence in the building choice we had. We're in a bit of an industrial part of town that kind of has been ignored for a number of years and has uh, shared kind of a, a light emergence as of recent, you know, with a number of businesses that opened up and around us. But really it starts with the, you know, the people that live in the area and we have a ton of traffic, uh, biking up, walking up. I mean, that's incredible. They've, they've propped us up the locals. So it's, it's, a uh, it's pretty rad to actually have that, you know, to think it's there and to do some research, hoping that it's there and then to have it actually be there and have them come back and enjoy your space. I mean, it's, it's all you could ever really ask for. Did, did you look at other cities? Tons of other cities, to be honest. I mean, we went, um, you know, as far north as Traverse City, um, you know, as far west as Kalamazoo, um, and then all the way east to the water. Um, one thing that did happen is we found that breweries opened up in some of the businesses that we had previously looked at, and we weren't ready. Um, you know, we're going through kind of the exploration phase of the business plan and trying to find a building and all that. And then uh, all of a sudden, six months to a year later, uh, another brewery found out has signed in that space. And so mm. kind of knew we were on the right path and others were on the right uh, same track as us. And so just uh, kept through the plan and you know, really just found Ferndale, you know, and then they worked with us an incredible amount. They were an open book. They helped us find our building. Um, the city itself. Yeah, okay. absolutely. I mean, the people there, phone numbers, emails, they were very, very responsive and communicative. Uh, other cities and municipalities we worked with, it was just really difficult to kind of even break through that that first barrier, you know, to start a business. Mm-hmm. And so um, the walls were down for Ferndale and it was really ripe for, for the type of brewery we wanted to do. And 
I mean, I grew up a mile away from where we opened the brewery now, so it's it's pretty incredible to come up, um, you know, come around full full circle and and be back in the neighborhood, so to speak. So I've heard really good things about Ferndale. Actually, my wife Lish wrote a story about kind of the the neat things that Ferndale does, and they're really supportive. They're great for business. Um, I mean, I, I I guess I do have a little tie to Ferndale. I have a business in there. I forgot about that. Never mind. What? I'm going to unplug that. I don't want to seem biased, but I like Ferndale. Ferndale's great. <laughs> not quite sure what happened. <laughs> I, I, was, I, I, I was listening. It's to not it. a functioning business yet. It's not a functioning anything. <clears throat> no. I mean, a, eventually it'll yeah, be a business. Someday. Sorry. So let's talk, about, let's talk about the eventuality. Is it more or less successful than your presentation? <laughs> <laughs> Equal. Equal. Okay. About six people. Okay. <laughs> it's like a Toastmasters thing where you going to teach people to do presentations in front of no audience. Acorn people? Whatever. <laughs> wow. Jeez. Man, dude. Uh, Zach, so the, the, uh, <laughs> from, from business plan to actually opening, how long, what was the process, how long, uh, and how many, like, not to you, I know one of your beers is called Iterations, but how many iterations <laughs> did you go through to to finally reach the point where you were, I, I know, I'm following you guys. You guys are just <laughs> killing it today. Absolutely killing it. Everyone's sleeping right now. I can hear listeners sleeping on the podcast right now. Thanks, live listener. So it took us about uh, six years. Um, <clears throat> first rendition of the business plan was between my wife and I. I had graduated college and took a job as a merchandiser at a local beer distributor and um, kind of saw what was happening around me and the opportunity to potentially even get paid and have a career um, selling beer was was a bit of a, a fantasy, so to speak, at that time. But um, equally so, we started having just, you know, kitchen table discussions uh, about potentially opening our own brewery. And so that started about six or seven years ago. We got our building about two and a half years ago now, and it took us about two years to actually build out the space and and ready it for all the approvals. How do you how do you make money during that time? <laughs> like like I, I, I mean, and maybe it's a ridiculous question, but but you're busting your ass probably day in and day out to, to open this place, and you're not generating income through through that business. Were you were you working a job? Were, I was working a job. You were. Yeah. I mean, um, up until about two years ago when we actually acquired the building, that was when I cut ties with my former job. And so I was managing sales for a brewery uh, throughout the state of Michigan. Um, And previous to that was working at distributors and working for other breweries as well. In the interim, I took a job at Coonan and a couple of other breweries just uh, working in the cellar, washing kegs, getting to know those guys and how they do their systems. And they were uh, an incredible amount of help to me in getting some practical uh, brew house experience because I had a lot of different sales uh, and beer related you know experience, but uh, other than home brewing, I was an avid home brewer. I didn't have any commercial brewing experience, and so they offered me the opportunity, and so I did that. But you know that doesn't pay very well. Uh, and my wife is a teacher; she's a full time art teacher, and so, huge money. Uh, yeah, absolutely <laughs> rolling. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've just largely hustled for a very long time. I've always worked you know multiple jobs at one time. Uh, we've saved everything that we could in order to put into this business. And, and that's it. You know, we had as a part of our business plan, me being out maybe six months of work, it ended up being a little over two years. So <sighs> what what was the holdup within those two years? Like why, why did it take so long to capital? capital? Yeah. I mean, we were not only hell bent on paying for it all of ourselves, but uh, not taking on, you know, huge amounts of, of debt from the bank and doing it our way. And that involved us getting the right amount of tanks, the right type of tanks, um, the right sizing. And those, because we're all Michigan dairy tanks, took a great amount of time uh, to source and then outfit as well. And so it was largely just buying a tank every few months, working on it, outfitting it, buying another tank. You know, uh, all the while working the system with uh, the municipalities and their requirements, the health department, uh, TTB and Liquor Control Commission and all that fun stuff. So um, they were actually pretty, pretty quick, you know, with the process. We were behind them, you know, at least six months or so. So it was it was largely just, you know, capital and having the, the know-how and the time to complete the things that um, that we needed to get done. I mean, we did we dug out the floors, we built the walls, we you know, dug the walk-in cooler out of an old Kroger. It was all just a very long, extensive process because we 
we did it ourselves and we had to figure it out because we had no idea how to do Lars. You so know. when you when you say we, you're talking like you yourself did this stuff? Yes, absolutely. Really? Yeah. 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 A buddy of mine, I mean, for the cooler, for example, we got like a 25, 20 by 25 walk-in cooler, an absolutely massive walk-in cooler. Kroger was, was shutting down. A buddy of mine works in the HVAC business and he said they're demolishing this thing tomorrow if you can get it out it's yours for free so they're they're walls you're not like rolling down the street with like a 20 by 25 no thing. no no no. yeah basically you take it down like a large puzzle you okay. know each one of the the puzzle pieces comes down they, they lock together and they're you know maybe about eight feet by four feet kind of thing all these panels and so you disassemble all the panels and then you put the puzzle back together cool um took us about 18 hours to get that particular piece but that's just just one of the things you know we had to figure out how to do because we're we're not HVAC people, you know, we're brewers mm-hmm. and, um, you know, we're beer salesmen and things. And our other partner is a sales engineer, fluid systems engineer. So we had um, some of the skill sets, but not. Yeah, a fluid know, system engineer. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we move around sanitary liquids, you know, that's right. what we do. But I've, and I've heard that before that as a opening a brewery or being a brewer, you really have to be this jack of all trades, you know, from from marketing to sales to the legal stuff to the just the engineering of all that, you know, nonsense. It, there's a lot. Absolutely. And things break every day, you know, and these systems have to work perfectly in order to get the level of beer that we're trying to produce. And, um, you know, things are breaking constantly. So we've kind of went through the phase where literally everything is broken in the entire brewery and we know how to, um, you know, fix it rather, rather quickly now. Um, so that's been good. Uh, the learning curve there uh, was, was rather short, but um, pretty serious. It's also tough when you're doing used equipment too. Like if for the most part you can, you can get some good stuff, but if it's not working out, you're just like, Oh, I just spent, you know, a thousand bucks on this thing. That's not working anymore. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we, we use almost a hundred percent dairy tanks and the tanks that we didn't get from the dairy industry, we created ourselves or had welders, you know, weld together ourselves. So our kettle is literally our design. We had that welded by a guy in Roseville, but yeah, I mean a milk tank, if it doesn't work, uh, you know, for brewing equipment, um, you can't exactly call a guy and make it work. You just have to figure it out yeah. or talk to another guy. Um, fortunately, there's a lot of small breweries that are starting out with the quote unquote Franken brew method, which is basically designing a, a brewery out of out of spent dairy tanks. Hmm. Why why is that the the methodology? What, what what about dairy tanks specifically make it make it ideal for brewing beer? Well, typically they're a very high quality stainless steel, they're jacketed and they're insulated. So you can temperature control them. You can run steam through them. Mm. Um, they have a very, very high sanitation standard, uh, even higher, um, more so than the brewing industry. And so they work phenomenally for what we're trying to do uh, for making beer, where you have to tailor it to a, a specific style and you have to know, you know, how to, how to massage the tanks to, to actually make beer. And are these on the market because they're upgrading or people are either drinking growing milk or, or dying? Typically, okay. you know, the farmers that we worked uh, worked with, they're either growing or dying. Okay. Um, but we've all of our tanks are, are sourced from the kind of the Saginaw area. Um, and there's a lot of family farms out there that we found these these things just sitting hmm. in corners of the barns. They've been sitting maybe 20 years and a good washing of acid and they, they shine up nice and bright. I mean, stainless steel is great for sure. that kind of stuff. So, yeah. and you have to go inside them to clean them. Yes. Yep. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you mentioned that there's a particular type of style that works best in these tanks. So let's talk about, let's segue into your beer. So what kind of style of beer do you tend to brew? And, um, a lot of milk stouts. <laughs> wow. I know. Man, you can't, Damn. you just can't let up. <laughs> Shit. Ironically enough, we have not. Done <laughs> so Good. we brew. Don't um, encourage him. <laughs> main, mainly farmhouse style saison and fresh IPA. Not too far. Farmhouse. farmhouse. Yeah. 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 We love. Uh, I mean, saison is basically a, a field drinker's beer, you know, or a field worker's beer, and so very much embodies the spirit of uh, of the field and that hard work. And you want that just refreshing, you know. Real nice and drinkable quality, and a really nice yeast ester, nice and fruity. Uh, those horizontal tanks that we use produce a fantastic ester profile and allow the yeast to not ferment under pressure like they do in conical unit tanks. So you know the typical cone uh, cone bottom unit tank that you find in a brewery um, applies osmotic pressure, and that, those pressures um, apply pressure onto the yeast and 
force them to act a certain way. And so ours being uh, quote unquote open fermentation or fermented without pressure, you know, have a different ester profile because of the type of yeast that it produces in the tank. So, so backing up to that. So like a cone, basically you're narrowing down to a point. So therefore you're having all that water, that all that weight on top of it, pushing on the yeast. Whereas if you have more of a flatter bottom, it's the it, it's spread out. Correct. Kind of? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. More surface area and uh, and no pressure. Okay. You know those conical tanks, um, they have an airlock typically. You know we have no airlock. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not open in the sense that the lids are always open, but just not not sealed under pressure. Okay. Hmm. And what does that do? And ter- what does that offer in terms of uh, like opportunities, challenges? Um, like what does a conical tank offer that is I don't want to say better, just different. Uh, really a closed sanitary system. So, you know, uh, it's a little bit tougher with um, the type of fermentation we do because it's much, much riskier. Uh, we have had to dump a batch of beer because it, it got infected. Uh, there was wild yeast, you know, airborne yeast that got into the beer, uh, infected an entire batch of beer. We do sensory, you know, we have a lab in-house, a very small lab in-house. So uh, we're able to look at those things under a microscope. And so it's a, it's a very, very risky way of doing things, but uh, much more accessible and um, you can beat the bacteria and wild yeast. And we just try to do that every time. And we haven't, you know, every single time. But um, you're pitching enough good yeast and you have a tank, you know, that hopefully is uh, is clean and sanitary. But wild yeast, airborne bacteria, I mean, literally, uh, you know, a granule of something that's been floating in the air while we're harvesting yeast uh, could ruin an entire batch of beer. So that's that's the real real tough part of it. Do you take any like personal sanitation? Like, are you guys like, Hey, everyone is going to be here like showered, shaved, not gross. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No, that's, uh, it kind of goes without saying, uh, we, we haven't really had to uh, cross that path with too many people, but yeah, I mean, there are our standards, um, in cleaning and sanitizing that people, uh, just don't necessarily understand until they, they step into the brewery. Mm -hmm. But, um, the brewery floor is the dirtiest spot in the entire brewery. And so anything that, that ever touches the floor either gets thrown out or it's pressure cooked or it's burned in acid. Um, and so there are procedures that they don't quite get. But uh, as soon as they spend some time with us, you know, a few days and things, uh, the sanitation standards, they, you know, pretty rapidly um, progress. Guess you're out, Nick. No job for you. No. Not with this body here. <laughs> some people are better cleaners than sanitizers. That's for sure. <laughs> So how many styles are there all together now that you've been producing? So we've done 17 different styles of beer right now. We have four on. Um, we have brought back probably four to five of those beers that um, people really enjoyed that, that basically just demanded. Um, our Porter was our first beer um, that people really wanted back and, and had to have back. They always bug us when our Porter goes off tap. So um, it's not on tap right now. We're, cu- we're catching hell because of it. But um, yeah, we, we try to mix it up. We try to keep it fresh. We always have a yeast driven style on, a dark style on, um, definitely a fresh IPA on, and then something light, easy drinking. I, I usually have a low ABV Saison, you know, or Grisette uh, in that range. What's the hardest to make out of those? Oh, the lighter beers, yeah. you know, less imperfections. Um, Travis was saying the same thing last week. Yeah, yeah, you really, really have to be a good brewer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't hide behind hops. You can't hide behind, you know, malt or um, any kind of crazy adjuncts or anything in, yeah. in those light beers. And so uh, Grisette is actually our toughest beer to brew. Um, it's our lightest ABV beer, but, you know, the, the largest concentration of Pilsner malt. And Pilsner malt, you can get some off flavors if you don't treat them right and you know, condition them out the right way. So now I'm not familiar with a grisette. Are you guys? I've, I've had it at, at your brew. Okay. At your well, there you rest, go. But I, I'm not familiar with the style either. So you could, yeah. Grisette is just basically a cousin of Saison. So mm-hmm. grisette um, basically was the miners version of Saison. There were miners, uh, you know, underage. Um, no. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> so uh grisette i'm sorry i'm so sorry i'm not i'm not normally this bad <laughs> it loosely means uh gray you know and uh, a grisette was largely a cloudy beer a gray beer so to speak and so it's kind of a cousin you know of belgian wit and saison very low abv refreshing made to be a working class you know workers drink and so it was just a different province of Belgium that it was focused on uh, as opposed to Cezanne. So a, a bit more of a, you know, mining activity going on there. <laughs> so are you like, so you're actively seeking, you're experimenting with, you've got, you know, you said four or five, six taps. First of all, are you going to be expanding that number of taps? 
Yes. Uh, before the end of the year, we hope to get to our 10 tap. Uh, we Right now we have cool. 10 taps. Um, we have usually two or three kombuchas on tap. Um, which we also do uh, quite a bit of. It's been surprising, actually, how successful kombucha has um, has been for us. Um, but, yeah, we try to keep um, four or five beers on tap as well. So we're looking to get to 10. And then so you're experimenting with all these different styles and then coming back to what people like. Is that you're still kind of like feeling out what people like or that's kind of like you always want to be offering some different things or – yeah, that's the intent. Uh, we really like to work not only with a diverse range of, um, of flavors, but a diverse range of ingredients and things as well. And so I really enjoy being able to experiment and do an English style ale uh, as well as a Belladon style ale and then get in and do, you know, a West Coast style IPA or, you know, quote unquote, New England IPA like they're calling it nowadays. But um, our consumers like that as well. And so we found that certain consumers have have dropped into certain niche areas and we want to satisfy those as much as possible. And we have a good amount of taps in order to do that. And so I think you can you can do a lot with six to eight taps. What's your ABV on uh, kombucha? Kombucha is 0.5%. Okay, so just barely touching. Barely touching. Okay. Yeah, we really like to focus on, on the teas uh, and then that bacteria and yeast character in our, our kombucha. We do a green tea, uh, honey june, which is a local wildflower honey and jasmine mm. green tea. I'm interested. And then we do uh, a wide array of black tea kombuchas. Uh, we use a oolong or a sam you know, as our base, and then we'll do a variety of different uh, root kombuchas. What we had on this weekend, which was uh, turmeric, beet, carrot, orange. Uh, we've got lemon, apple, ginger, all kinds of fun stuff. Just looking to, to experiment with all kinds of different flavors there. Cool. What got you into that? I had a bad gut. Uh, beer okay. drinking got me into that. Uh, as a brewer, as a beer lover, drinking a wide amount of beer and um, uh, tons of microflora in my gut. I started to have problems. I love to ferment things at the house. My wife does as well. And so she actually started brewing it and said, I'm just going to do this. You check this out and see what happens for you and actually balance things out quite a bit for me. So it really started as a, a health benefit. And then we said, oh, let's do this at the brewery, see how it goes as well. We think Ferndale is a good spot for something like kombucha. And we have people that literally come in and only drink kombucha. They don't even drink the beer. They just come for the kombucha, which is, uh, which has been surprising but awesome. All right, let's back this up because I'm seeing years flash off my life. What, what's if you drink too many beers? <laughs> like, what's, what's happening here? <laughs> so basically, your gut is your key to your all-around body health. Okay. You know, and if your gut breaks down in the bacteria. Gut flora. You know, You're familiar with gut flora. I, I, I get it, but is it, is it be something in the beer that's throwing it off? or? Yeast. Yeast. You know, so just yeast. too much yeast. Absolutely. And is that yep. just from beer? Is that from bread? Is that from whatever? It's from everything. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Anything you know that's um, that has yeast as a part of its uh, ingredient set mm-hmm. uh, can mess up that balance of bacteria and yeast in your gut. So when you get a, a harsh imbalance, your body starts to to respond in negative ways. And the kombucha will kind of help neutralize, repopulate that. that. Yeah, repopulate. the idea is the good that, ones. Yep, exactly. Okay. You want to reintroduce good bacteria to help overpopulate the bad bacteria. There's other forms of probiotics a lot of people use. I mean, look, Fage. At, look at yogurts yeah. that are probiotics. You look at uh, probiotic supplements, for example, uh, daily supplements that uh, I take some. And, okay. Uh, I, I've never gotten into kombucha, but uh, I don't know. It's probably it's the same principle. It's just live. You know. <laughs> how would you? How would you? And obviously you. Uh, going to be biased because it's yours. Well, how would you rate like a, a off the tap versus a bottled version hmm. that you get? Really, the difference is freshness. You know, I've seen upwards of sixty to ninety days, uh, and that bacteria is very much alive and it's dying every single day, every single minute. And so, um, the health of the actual drink um, and the viability of the drink is is far different. I mean, uh, our, our kombucha is so fresh, it's literally hitting the taps just a few days after fermentation wow. is done. And, and so, you'll clear through it pretty quick? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's largely hitting the taps and gone before the end of the weekend now. Um, my wife, who's the brewer, uh, brews all the kombucha, is doing about a barrel a week now. We started just doing five gallons. So, you know, she's doing over 30 gallons a week now, which is is incredible. That's did, cool. Did you market that uh, outside of the idea of the brewery? Or was that when people came to the tap room, they're like, you're like, hey, by the way, we have kombucha over here if you're interested. No, right? we market as a completely you know, individual product. Uh, we think it, it caters to a certain crowd and a certain audience, and um, largely it has. And, and those people 
share the same type of uh, requirements that we they all want, come with their know. yoga mats yeah. and oh yeah, yeah. absolutely man <laughs> yeah and then just drink kombucha they we sell more growlers of kombucha than we do beer and people who drink kombucha are taking that home and they want to enjoy that you know over the course of a couple of days you're not really drinking a whole lot of tea at the end of the night and whatnot and so we've sold a ton of growlers which we did not expect of of kombucha it's pretty cool wow. I, i'm trying not to make this a dumb question is that considered alcoholic it is. Okay. Yep. It is. Yeah, right. just as is, you know, a, a Odul's NA or something Got like it. that. That's okay. about a half percent. Yeah. Right. We card people. Okay. They wonder yeah. why. But. Th- there is that... Uh, there's a, G- there's a window. Uh, the GT's kombucha that's kind of like the mass-produced, like, nationwide brand at Whole Foods. There's two versions. There's a... And, and maybe explain this to us. Like, there's a non-alcoholic version, and there's a dark bottle version, which has whatever amount of booze in it. What is the benefit of the non-alcoholic version is there one kids can buy it it's basically equal to if you're taking like a probiotic pill you know um the difference is the amount of live bacteria that's still there and so that black bottle that they're they're asking for id has a larger amount of large or um, live cultures and so it could potentially produce more alcohol uh than that half percent uh limit that they put you know on the non-alcoholic versions and so it's really just live bacteria so the 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 it's half percent. That's kind of the line. So if you're it under is. half, you're quote unquote non-alcoholic. Correct. Okay. So what's the highest alcoholic percentage beer that you have? Because we've been talking about the low end. That you can make or that they no, have? No, that you have. The largest um, one we put on tap was 11. Mm, um, nice. It was uh, our quad. We had that on for a very short time uh, as soon as we opened. Um, right now it's our Imperial Saison, which is 8%. Hmm. I'm on the hunt for high ABV beers still. <laughs> I'm doing just the opposite. They're, I just haven't had that experience yet. Yeah, well, As yeah. a whiskey drinker, I'm trying to understand what this sure. high ABV beer life is about. Having that Bourbon County at, at uh, around noon today, like it, it fucked me up the rest of the day. Like, really? I mean, it was only one glass, and like it was 14%, though. Define glass. Uh, it was a 10 ounce, 10 ounce yeah. snifter. That's a healthy pour. Yeah. And um, it was Honest John's. Yeah. yeah. Nice. And, Go Honest uh, John's. And, yeah. uh, but, but it's. It, it, like slowed me down the rest of the day because it's a, it's a lot of it's a cup of booze. Yeah. I mean, you that's know, high. I mean, what is it? 14, 14. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, these kind of large ABV beers are like, they, they hit you. I know. Yeah. I'm trying to figure that out. <laughs> well, but I mean, a lot of beers, I feel like they're either going to hit you from an alcohol perspective or they're just going to be like, you know, this, you know, loaf of bread in your, your belly too. So drinking anything at you know noon, you alcoholic, it's gonna it's gonna be tough. <laughs> I know I had my three year old with me too. Uh, <laughs> it's ter- no, it's just a recurring theme terrible, that I don't have parent. a lot of experience with <laughs> beer. I've been learning a little bit more about beer, trying some more beers, but being like a bourbon American mm-hmm. whiskey guy for for a while, it's like I'm trying to understand how I can drink you know Old Granddad one fourteen. A few of those seems high, and then somebody's like, "There's a ten percent beer," and I'm like, "That doesn't seem." Hi to me. So I've, I've just, I want to have that. I want to sit down and drink 10 ounces of 14. Did you drink that ice beer with me, that Eisenbach? A- 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 no. I don't know. Who I, I think talk, you talked me out of it. It was like, what, 30, 30%? Yeah, that was 30. the cheap one. Holy. Yeah. Well, th- those are novelties, right? Like, n- no one, there's that one beer that's like, was it 60? I think they're the same. I think they're all related. It's, it's like syrup. Yeah. It ends up being like, like some like type of, there's no carbonation because the. <laughs> The high alcohol uh, kills the carbonation. It's not beer at that point, right? Well, no, and it's like frozen or there's all these techniques to like monkey it up to that number. Right. See, I haven't had beer in two and a half years because I I stay away from anything that has carbonation. So um, does the kombucha have carbonation? It is it highly is, yeah. effervescent. Womp, yeah, okay. womp. Yeah. Mm. There goes Olivato's business. <sighs> well, but, you know. could, could you do cask? Like flat, uh, firkin? Could you firkin, firkin it up? Yeah. So I, I have, I had a couple of brewers say to me that they would make, you know, I could come at, uh, at at the point that prior to the carbonation process and try it, and I just like, oh man, this doesn't sound appealing. No, like, no, no. Big, like it doesn't. Like, you know, the appealing part of beer to me in the past was, you know, you have all this flavor and complexity, and then just like, I don't know, the bubbly part of it and everything was just like refreshing. Yeah. You know, even if it was a a winter beer or whatever. It still had that refreshingness to it. And I'm staying away from the bubbles. It's just like, oh, do I want to just try that without? No, I really don't. Are know. nitros the same way? Like you can't do a nitro either? A nitro? I have a nitro. Like a Guinnessy type thing? Well, I have nitro coffee, but not nitro beer. 
So I wonder if you could get away with like a like a Guinness style, not necessarily a Guinness, but something. Mm, that's a good question. Uh, I think it's a. It's going to sound stupid. It's probably like a gateway though, because once I do that, then I'll be like, oh, well, I could just try one beer and then go on to another, and your stomach but, explodes. But uh, it's. Uh, I, I definitely, you know, I, I definitely miss it. There's no question about it. I enjoyed beers a lot, and I was really getting into the craft, I mean, craft scene around here was kind of exploding around that time, and now it's just like, well, you know, I get to sit here and listen to you. I'll try to drink some for you. Well, no, I switched to, <laughs> fortunately, I switched to bourbon. So yeah, There you go. Yeah. What are you going to do? So, Zach, what's, uh, you mentioned the quad that you guys had for a brief period of time. Um, did that just sell out, like, as quick as you put it on tap? Is that Yeah, one we things? just had a very small amount we did in, like, pilot stages, so it wasn't on the big system. So we just yeah it didn't last the first weekend. Is it just a lot of material to make it that that boozy or? It is yeah. Okay. It's a very expensive uh, beer to do not uh, to do not only from an ingredient standpoint, from also a time standpoint. You know you can't just ferment an eleven percent beer and put it on tap as soon as it's done. Need some conditioning. You know get rid of some of those fusel alcohols and whatnot. Uh, have it just just chill out a bit. Is that like a bright tank thing or? Yeah, okay. exactly. You know, a bright tank, it's just a, you know, a, a conditioning tank. Mm-hmm. What what does that mean? Like what? Bright yeah. means basically ready to, ready to go, uh, so to speak. Bright, like B-R-I-T-E, uh-huh. not, not so much like uh, bright the light, so to speak. But yeah, it's just, a, that's just a, the name for the tank. It was on my beer server test. I learned oh, okay. it and forgot it. So, so we, we had... Um, Travis Fritz from uh, Old Nation last week, and you know, as you as you probably know, they they brew M forty three. If you were to have a have a beer that all of a sudden like just took off pop, in popularity, like what is? Do you have a plan to react to something like that, or are you just going to say we'll keep it on tap as best we can, and we're going to stay true to ourselves and like keep on this path of being this neighborhood brewery? Here's exactly. a bag of money. I mean, it's and here's you know. <laughs> true yeah <laughs> well we just don't really have the capacity to do something like that right now so it really be, just be a capacity thing i mean we're roughly you know um one seventh you know maybe one tenth the size every batch that we're doing as, as old nation um and then overall you know maybe even 20 times smaller than those guys and so we really just wouldn't have the ability to react to it our ipa has been our standout for us uh people uh, you know, as they do, the porter just have gotten pissed off when we when we've ran out of IPA. Is that iteration or is that iteration? Yeah. Okay, and yep. you've done how many different this iterations? Is iteration three. Iteration three. Yeah. <laughs> this is iteration three. <laughs> so to be fair, though, I mean, Travis, uh, he was talking about they invested in the in large capacity to begin with, in, to, and they were start, str- yeah. and they yeah. were struggling. Yeah. Before M43, the exact opposite of what you're talking about, they built a large, a much larger capacity than they really had a reason to expect. Uh, but de- and then that, and Detroit then, Brewing, aren't they pretty massive too? And aren't they kind of eh, like – They're the same size as Old Nation. They have the same are they? same okay. capacity as Old Nation. It's a, it's a large, right. very large brewery. Because they had the contract for Badass. And I – is that even made still? De- Detroit – Brew Detroit or Detroit Brewing? I don't know. Whatever Detroit one Brewing is the, the one nearby near small place. What's the big one? What's Brew the big Detroit. One? Brew Detroit. Brew Detroit. Okay, in, that's in what Corktown I'm over by. They're Bet. close. Their names are similar. <laughs> says the spirits guy. <laughs> yeah, Brew Detroit has a huge facility, right? Like yes, yeah, they're they're, as, they're doing they're, contract brewing. That's that's their mo. So I mean, it's large volume, large scale distribution stuff. Uh, that was what Old Nation was set up for. Was just statewide distribution we're set up for exactly the opposite localized everything through the taps everything directly from a bright tank mm-hmm. uh, we don't even keg anything we have literally mm-hmm. just things in serving tanks uh, being served directly through the taps that's interesting so what does that change the flavors or anything that comes from that yeah yeah absolutely mm-hmm. i mean largely every time you add an input to the process you get more oxidation right. oxidation is one of the key enemies to beer and so the further you oxidize that beer um, the quicker it breaks down and so we just you know have one vessel we're putting it into um, we don't have uh, the large amount of oxidation you get with packaging and so it's it's fresher it stays well uh you know longer um helps us you know, uh, in labor, from a labor standpoint as well, because it's one giant keg as opposed to 14, 15 small kegs, you know. So was the Bright Tank in Krogerland, or where does that live? It was not. It was actually, we got those from a, a dairy transport uh, company. Oh, so they're uh, cooled? 
Yeah. Well, no, they're no. in the cooler. We put them okay. in the cooler. Got so it. they're okay. not jacketed. They're not insulated. They're single wall. Okay. Um, you picture just a giant keg. It's exactly what they are. So talking about labor and whatnot, and you got the tap room, have the, you know, your your selection of stuff for the neighborhood, and you're doing uh, charcuterie? Is that yes. right? Yep. Yeah, we get all of our charcuterie from Farmfield Table, a local butcher shop across the street. All of our spent grain from the brewing process goes to his farm out in Imlay City, uh, the pork and the cattle, um, eat that spent grain, and then eventually return back to back to the plate at our place. Are, are you looking to expand on that at all? Or are you? We are, yeah. We're actually um, seasonally rotating our charcuterie menus, so we have a, a whole other um, new set of charcuterie options that are coming out. We have uh, Provisions Ferndale, which is coming across the street. They're a specialty um, charcuterie and chocolate manufacturer, uh, retailer rather, and so uh, we're excited to work with them and kind of uh, go to the next phase of our, our charcuterie options. Anything else like Anything else in terms of like uh, What do you food? want? What are you trying to get at? I like food. Oh, you mean different food <laughs> Yeah, options. man. I like food. I'm you like, want a, like a cake? We can have some cakes would drink be... beer or kombucha. So he's like, what's bringing me to Urban? Cakes would be <laughs> Well, you, you have food trucks, right? Correct. Yeah. Every day we're okay. open, we have a different food truck. Um, we've got literally the next two months uh, with, with food trucks or pop-up kitchens. Uh, we host a variety of different local folks. Um, the pop-up kitchen thing has been really great. The brunches uh, have been really successful for us. So you always do have uh, the option for food there. You can bring in and carry out uh, or carry in, rather, uh, your own food at Urban Rest. You can even pack a sandwich from home and do yeah. that, too. And so we do have a food service license, but options are, are pretty open. So, for, uh, Yeah, I want to hear about the kitchen, though. But for your thing, you don't have an uh, idea for expanding into a kitchen or anything like that? We have, you know, but really from a, uh, from a capital standpoint, it doesn't make a lot of sense for us right now. From a, a cost of goods sold you know, perspective, it really doesn't. So um, as long as we can continue to stay on the path of the, the volume expectations we have for brewery production and beer production, really we just want to focus on that because we, we haven't even been able to – to meet the demand for that. And so once we do, um, we have a whole nother iteration of the business plan uh, set up for food. We initially okay. had that in our business plan to do, but uh, from a cost standpoint, it just didn't make sense. Um, but in the future, maybe it will. I mean, that's fair. yeah, that's fair. Yes. All right, so explain the kitchen. So the kitchen is like kind of open. So like some random Joe could come in and make Scottish food or how does that work? Exactly. Yep. <laughs> yep. So, you know, we've had everything from, uh, you know, Congo inspired African cuisine to, you know, Japanese uh, style onigiri, um, a variety of different things. It's very, very cool. And people, people dig the difference in, in flavors. So hmm. Britsky. Yeah. Sarap did, uh. Filipino brunch. Yeah. 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 Nice. Rob Jake was and Dorothy incredible. were incredible. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Great. They, they throw wow. back to episode eight, something like that. <laughs> they, they sold out in like look at, two hours, it seemed like. Right? Look in the show. Something look like in the that. show. Now. I think look maybe show even less, to be honest. Those guys had brought in, you know, their own crowd. We had people lining up like it was our opening day, you know, and it was like Sarap brought a, a whole new crowd uh, to our place and a whole new clientele, which is really cool. We want, you know, those different crowds of people uh, to gain exposure from. So it's, it's, goes both ways so let's say you did that could you do like a like a filipino inspired beer oh absolutely yeah it would take us a little bit of time um but we that's the collaborations that we really are are starting to do Mm -hmm. um you know so we've had a a number of uh local beer bars and things like that that have put us on their back um we're going to bring them in bring their staff in brew a beer with them from a design uh, you know um the design phase all the way to serving and it'll be um, you know, served only on site at their place and our place. Cool. Do, do brewer, will other brewers get excited to use your brewing system versus like a, if they're used to using a conical brewing system, for example, is there a, um, like a novelty to what you guys do or is there? The novelty wears out pretty quick, but there's absolutely <laughs> a novelty to our, our place. Um, I don't know if they're necessarily excited to work on our system. It's a very, very labor intensive system. Our grain-in procedures, you literally are lifting 55-pound bags uh, by hand and another guy's stirring it in. another reason Nick you can't know. do it. <laughs> to get it out, we, we oh. shovel it right, out, maybe. you know. Two people climb in and shovel it out, and so it's a very labor-intensive process. Cool. So, uh, I, and, and forgive me, I haven't been over there, obviously, because I don't drink beer, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, TVs, entertainment, uh, music, anything like that? Only entertainment we really have is, uh, is music. We do have some live music in the works. Uh, we've always got some good stuff jamming. Um, we 
don't have any TVs right now. We kind of pride ourselves on that. We just want people to be hanging out, communicating with each other. It's uh, football with each season. Other. It is football it. season, but you know Stop it's it. college and pro no. football. So, season. Okay, so wait, there's I, something I, to be said about that. Absolutely, awesome. I heard you yes. brought your TV over from your house. I did. <laughs> we did a test game. Yeah, we and did a test game. Like, and uh, one one of your bartenders was telling me he's like, I don't know if it worked or not, and it's like but, it doesn't matter if it did. Like you guys, that's you, not you're your either vision. all in or, or you're all out. That's yeah, the thing, you know. Exactly. It wasn't our thing, and it's it's not really but how that's our clients all try. I mean, like, maybe like uh, if you, I don't know. I've been pushing Sugar House for TVs for years now. Yeah, that's not happening. I mean, they did. Was the brunch the uh, the Surat brunch on a Sunday? It was. So I mean, they've got a line out the door for a Filipino brunch. What do they need TVs for football for? You know? Well, if it was like football, could I do mean, it on Saturday. Like, I mean, college football. I, I, I searched up and down for places to watch the Michigan game. It's called your house, bro. <laughs> I got it. I got it. But if I Buffalo Wild Wings, that's what it exists. Listen, for. I had a, three. I had a babysitter, and I was able to put my three year old with my, uh, you know. Uh, mom and whatnot, and I was able to go out. And I'm, I'm going to stay at home. <laughs> yeah, I can, get, I can tell you. And get Applebee's. You have the foosball table. You have the board games. You oh. have uh, pool table. Cl- pool table. You have Clask. Clask. Whoa. What's so Clask is this like? It's a Danish game of skill. Fantastic. Clask. <laughs> it's basically like air hockey without any of the air and magnets. Uh, so there are some obstacles, but you basically control it with a magnet underneath. And uh, it's a ton of fun, and so that's that's our entertainment for the most part. We have people literally just leave games. All of a sudden, we'll have a few new games over in the corner. Like, okay. do you have any Legos? We question. do not have any Legos. Oh, maybe maybe someone will leave Legos. Our, our set. Yeah. <laughs> if someone leaves Legos, it's uh, this guy. <laughs> what, what's the What's the vision for the next year or two? The next iteration, if you will. <laughs> the vision is just to grow to the point where we can we can comfortably uh, serve the demand that our community has. Let me, I mean, let me, getting to 10 taps was, is our priority one. Um, we thought that we would maybe be there a little quicker than we have, um, but, you know, it's it's been a little bit tougher to expand capacity to that point. But we just we just want to serve our, our neighborhood uh, sufficiently, and that's our goal. Let me, let me ask this. As an owner, is the vision to have somebody else run the place? Or, is it, mm. or do you always want to have... You know that creative input. That creative yeah. input. I absolutely you're love to brew. I okay. love to brew. There are certain parts of the business that um, aren't necessarily tailored to my specific skill set. Delegating for those specific tasks. Uh, there are three of us owners: my wife and I, and then our partner Scott. And so uh, we have a an array of, of skills, so to speak. And so I very, very much like to create beer. I like to make beer. Um, for me, it's like like meditation. It's a release. Uh, it's my art. And so. Uh, I'll always, always want to make beer. Zach, uh, thanks for being with us. Let's talk about where can people find you online. So you can find us at urbanrest.com, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at urbanrestbeer, and um, at 2615 Wolcott in Ferndale, our tap room. And you're open, what are your hours? We're open Wednesday through Sunday from about 4 o'clock till midnight about every day. And that's beer and food trucks. Beer, food trucks, and kombucha. Sunday's early though, right? Sunday's at noon. But you close at like 6, right? We do. Yep. Sundays we close early. All right, Zach, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it, Until next time, dine well, friends.